I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for Ansem, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long career as a scientist. Skills like making fake skin, creeping around, mimicking people's voices. I will not look for you. Well, I probably will. I'll probably take photos of you. I will not pursue you. You know, I probably will pursue you. But if you don't give me what I want, I will look for you and I will find you. And I will kill you. Probably by sticking your head up through uh, a sewer grate and, and let cars run over your face. I haven't really worked this part out, so uh, I just know that I'll probably kill you and then I'll, I'll take your face. I'm Batman. I'm not, I'm not Bat Batman. I'm, I'm not, not Batman. Batman. I swear to God, not I'm not Batman. Batman. Uh, that was not my line. My line was, <clears throat> good luck. That, that was pretty good. Okay. You made it through that. I can either do it again or we can call no, that no, no, a no. I think I think we let that one go. Let the audience mull that one over for a moment. And uh, we say, uh, if you want to understand more about uh, what the hell just happened, stick around until the uh, end of the intro music here. I haven't done my my mic check yet. I know. I see your levels, though. You you see my levels. Are my levels high enough? Um, I think I lowered you the other day because you were really drunk. <laughs> <laughs> that's oh, that's fair. Yeah, I I have to say I don't remember what I said during brick. I, I will tell you this much: you you spoke loudly enough that I had to lower your levels. Uh, that should give you an idea of of how drunk you were. Yeah, um, so for tonight's movie, I was totally going to do Fireball as as a, as a, an appropriate uh, drink of choice for this film. And then I didn't because I need to play hockey tomorrow. Oh. And I didn't want a, you know, a repeat performance of Brick. Yeah, that was a fun one. I, in the same vein, almost went with, what was it? It was a rogue sriracha. Just because just it looked, it had an awesome bottle. So Rogue has a sriracha beer, and it looks just like a sriracha bottle, but 750 milliliters. And I decided against it because I found something else. Now, now, have you ever done like the Stone does like a a, a very spicy beer? I think it was a uh, a habanero beer. Have you ever tried that? I think I've had that. Um, if we're talking spicy beers, I'm gonna recommend. The Night Shift Habanero. Yeah, the Habanero Rye. See, I, I I feel like I should be able to recommend the stone, but I couldn't enjoy it because I was already hungover when I tried it, and uh, it made me kind of even more yeah, sick than I was. Yeah, circumstances can completely ruin. Uh, I can't enjoy Sam Adams' cherry wheat because I was already a few... A, it's a cherry wheat beer, and I'm not sure I would enjoy it sober, but I was already a little drunk, and I had it with sun chips, and it's the most disgusting combination on the planet. All right, before we actually tell you what uh, beverages we are drinking tonight, I'm Steve Shannon. I'm Jonathan Ledoux. And tonight's movie was awesome. It was a classic Sam Raimi movie. But it wasn't Evil Dead. It was not Evil Dead related. Nor was it Army of Darkness. Which is Evil Dead related. Good point. So it's not Evil Dead. Okay. And it's not Spider-Man. Okay. And it's not Drag Me to Hell. Uh, it's not that Oz is a great and powerful movie. No. Um, or any of the many titles that we could name that he has Ooh, produced. Was it Quick and the Dead? I love that movie. Did he, pro did he direct Quick and the he Dead? He directed Quick and that the Dead. That explains so much about that movie. Yeah, the crazy zooms and all that stuff during the gunfights. Yeah, you know, there weren't a lot of Raimi angles. I, you could call them Dutch angles, but let's face it, when they get to that much of an extreme, they're No, Raimi they're Raimi angles. Yeah. I wrote down in my notes, Raimi angles. No, it wasn't Quick and the Dead. Uh, in fact, it was a little earlier than that. It's. Oh, I think it's, it's his first studio movie. You know, I actually, I think it, it was. 
um, because Universal put out a promo for this film saying like, Raimi already has a cult following from his work on Evil Dead 2. So I, I think they, Evil I think Dead Universal 2. gave him money to make this movie because of Evil Dead 2, which good on Universal. Yeah. Wow. Good, good form. He didn't have a lot of, no, there's not much of a filmography before this movie. I mean, we should probably say what this movie is. I, you know what? This is, why are we teasing it? If you listen to the cold open, we probably already <laughs> mentioned what the movie was. The, the title is probably on the website if you're doing it that yeah. way, or if you're on a phone app, it almost certainly says Darkman. Okay, so if you're just joining us, you don't know how podcasts work, so maybe we should explain that. You start at the beginning, you don't just pick a random spot and come in, and if you picked a random spot, why did you pick like three minutes into the podcast? It seems reasonable. Maybe you, maybe you wanted to skip the intro music. Oh, I need to officially say, because it is official now, that uh, intro music, if you're interested, is provided by The Green Lights, album out now, uh, check it out, and Darkman. Darkman, 1990. Directed by Sam Raimi, who obviously we are fans of. You know, I felt that some other director or producer would have made a repeat appearance at some... Okay, obviously there was going to be a repeat at some point, correct? There was going to be someone who uh, we mentioned more than any other producer or director. I I didn't think Sam Raimi would have been the one, but it makes sense that it is, because now we've dealt with Sam Sam Raimi in Time Cop. Yeah, as Sam, a producer. Sam Raimi. We mentioned him a lot during Bubba Hotep. Oh, yeah. And, I forgot uh, about that. Yeah. Now we got him again in Darkman. Yeah. I'm not complaining. Uh, this is our first actual Sam Raimi-directed film. And like we said, this is his first studio film that he had made, Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2, and a couple other little things here and there, maybe some TV work, things like that. But this is his big blockbuster Question mark. It, so the movie had a budget of $16 million, and it made $49 million, which is 1990 money is is a solid hit. The deal with this is Sam Raimi really wanted to do either Batman or The Shadow. And holy crap, is this movie almost Batman and almost The Shadow. He couldn't secure the rights to either of those films, so he he created his own character. And yeah. he managed to sell this treatment to Universal. Well, it's helped by the fact that it's an homage, I think, to Universal monster movies, uh, especially Frankenstein and the Invisible Man. I, I got more of a vibe of a lot of the pulp heroes. Um, oh, definitely Shadow. If, the, if definitely you're Shadow, about. a little bit of Phantom, maybe? Oh, a little bit. No guns, uh, with, though. I mean, the bad guys use guns. Yes, versus... but no good guys using guns in this. I mean, and he was, you know... Although the Phantom did punch evil. He did. He he punched him so hard that his ring left a uh, imprint on their foreheads. Yes. Which, wouldn't that crack their skull? Yeah. Billy Zane is probably listening. I'm We're sorry, big fans, Billy. Billy Zane. Billy, hey, call me. We love Demon Knight. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Dark man. Very happy that Universal decided, you know, pony give up Give Sam Raimi and some g- money. Give him a chance to do this and you stay out of his way, unlike certain other studios, Sony. But we're talking about Darkman. What is the story of Darkman? Darkman. So Darkman is... Oh, we haven't even mentioned, like, the second best part of this film. That it stars Liam Neeson. That is definitely what I was going for. Yes. Liam Neeson, who you may know from such hits as Kroll and The Phantom Menace. Those are the two? Those are the two I'm going with today. Crawl. Well, uh, you don't love Crawl? Come on. Uh, okay, I, I... Dude throws a bladed five yep. thingy at the devil, and then love is the answer to everything. Right. So, if you don't know uh, Liam Neeson <laughs> from... <laughs> from yes, Phantom... if you don't know Liam Neeson... Then what the, the hell is wrong with you? Yes. I... Liam Neeson... From the hit movie Battleship. I could do this all day. I'm going to throw something at you. I Liam think Neeson. most people, Liam Neeson came on their radar uh, during Schindler's List. Schindler's List. and there, Or, or Darkman. Depending on who you are, Darkman, yes. yes. I feel he became more of a household name. Like People really knew who he was, if not for Schindler's List, then for playing uh, Qui-Gon Jinn. In The Phantom Menace. Yeah, who's that really respected actor that is really, really sleepy through this entire movie? Oh, that's everyone. Sorry. 
Yes. But Liam Neeson. And Rob then, Roy, and if you haven't Michael figured, Collins. And then again, if you've somehow lived under a rock through the 90s, then you'd know him from Taken. And if you like mm-hmm. that Taken gravel voice, oh, you're in <laughs> luck for Darkman. There's Darkman, a lot of Darkman Liam Neeson is a, gravel. You could argue is the progenitor of the super gravelly Liam Neeson voice. It's It's more gravelly than I think in any movie up until his action star days. Because he's always been a gravelly man, but he, he's he gone over the top. I feel like when they were recently. doing that phone call scene in Taken, they were they were they they just the wanted Darkman to come out. Yeah, the director is basically... So, Liam, um, I saw this movie Darkman, and I really liked what you did there. Uh, can we do that, but... Um, I want you to enunciate a little more and maybe use your more natural Irish accent. I have no idea who directed Taken. I'm looking it up right now because you gave that guy the most Poindexter voice you could have. Pierre Morel. Pierre? Pierre Morel. I, in the back of my head, because it wasn't, it was probably produced by Luc Besson. It's that kind of film. In the back of my head, I knew he was probably French. And I just wasn't. Wow, this guy did nothing before Taken. I was just not confident to do a French accent at the moment, so I just went with Poindexter. Um, But we're talking about Liam Neeson, or as many as the internet likes to call him, Liam Neesons, along with Bruce Willie and Liam Neesons. Kim Peel really just made that the thing. Thank you, Kim. I I I called. I I made a lot of Kim Peel references while we were watching this movie, Dark Man. Hey, Steve, what you drinking tonight? So tonight. I wanted to do something that had to do with one of Darkman's, I guess, weaknesses, but probably more of a quirk than a weakness. Due to Darkman's accident, which left him burnt on a good portion of his body, uh, the doctors helping him decided it is best for him if we just sever his nerve endings so he can feel nothing. Because it's better that than just be in constant pain for the rest of his life. And one of the side effects they tell you flat out, just lay it right out there for you in the film, is... Anything is going to set this guy off. Any little bit of anger or rage that he feels is going to immediately escalate to 11, and he's going to lose his goddamn mind, and he's probably going to break someone's fingers in a hilarious way. So to that end, I found Moat Mountain, Matilda's Red Rage. Which is a local brew. Yes, Moat Mountain is uh, local to uh, where we are. Uh, This particular beer is an Irish red. Uh, I drank a lot of Irish Red in college. While everyone else was drinking uh, Coors Light or Bud Light or Keystone Ice, I found myself a big fan of Killian's Irish Red. Natty Ice was, I think, the big one when I was in college. Oh, you know, Miller High Life, another one that made its way up there. That is the champagne of beers, and I will not hear it spoken ill of. (laughs) But as far as the uh, the Mountain Irish Red Matilda, Matilda's Red Rage, very appropriate for uh, Darkman and uh, this beer. Hang on. It's pretty good. Yeah, it definitely not uh, super sophisticated, but it goes down pretty good. And you could definitely drink uh, several of these in a night and uh, enjoy each and every one of them. John, what are you drinking tonight? Well, I actually also chose a local beer as my choice. And I have a FTB, which is from the barrel, a.k.a. A.k.a. is the relevant bit here. Yes. Now, from the barrel is a very small brewery, and I was actually excited to even find it in a beer store. They're out of Londonderry, New Hampshire. They don't distribute much, so I'm very happy to have found it at all. And they are they have a couple beers now, and they're they're knocking it out of the park. They're They're very well regarded. But the AKA is the key here because Darkman, his other quote unquote power is that he can take on his other, other people's... superhero thing that he does. Yeah, he, he he takes on other people's faces and identities, and that's why the AKA, also known as, stood out to me, and I grabbed it. And it is a pale. It is about four point nine percent, and it's a it's a solid beer. It's nothing that you're going to write home about, but it's also the kind of thing that you drink and you're like, wow, that is good. FTB, if you see it anywhere, which is probably not going to happen for a while outside of New Hampshire, but if you find it, grab one. They're, they're solid. They're at least making a name for themselves. Getting back to Darkman. Darkman is Liam Neeson, and he plays Peyton... 
Do you not know it? Uh, they. <laughs> so this is a little thing that we noticed during the film. No one seems to say his name until pretty far into the film. Like I don't 20, think they 25. ever say his last name. I think the only I think his the bad is, guy says it later. His name is Peyton Westlake. And we discover that mostly from his grave marker, which we will get to. But, you know, Peyton Westlake is not dead. No. But we're going to tell you how yes. he, people think he's dead. Peyton Westlake is a scientist, and that's capital S, scientist. He's because working. he does things. I don't know if it's... His lab assistant is Asian. That's how you know he's legit. Yeah, and it's 1990, so that's a big deal. That's like Jurassic Park level science. You know what just occurred to me? The scientist from uh, the new Jurassic Park, uh, the uh, Jurassic World, is the same guy from the first movie. Is it B.D. Wong? I think so. I haven't seen Jurassic World, so I'm. But if it's B.D. Wong, I'm I'm in. I'll watch it. Uh, he's kind of a douche in Jurassic World. B.D. Wong is impossible to be douchebaggy. He is. He's great. But uh, our Asian lab assistant in this film does not have a good time. No. So Peyton Westlake is a scientist, and he is developing an artificial synthetic skin. There's a slight issue with this synthetic skin that they can't seem to work out, where it just implodes after 99 minutes. It's like you you have the skin, and it looks pretty good, and they make a nose, and then 99 minutes on the dot hits, and it just starts melting. So that's kind of the, the first bit of setup we get in this film. Another bit of setup is we're introduced to Durant. Durant is not a good guy. In fact, he would be what you would call the bad guy of this movie. Durant, uh, he's a, he, I guess he's up and coming only because there are certain mob bosses who do not yet uh, respect his authority. Yeah, he's got his fingers in a lot of pies. Oh, I see what you did there. Uh, Durant's got a thing about uh, collecting the fingers of his... Uh, enemies or his rivals which he uh takes using a cigar cutter yeah let me put this out there right now i watched this movie when i was this movie came out when i was seven and i think they played it on network tv which is watching it now kind of mind-blowing because it's very violent so i watched this when i was probably seven or eight and you watch you know fingers get cut off people and get burned alive that uh, sticks with you People's hands getting melted off. That sticks with you. There's a lot of this movie, and I don't think I've seen it since then. Since I was probably eight, maybe nine or ten. And honestly, I remembered way too much of this movie. Specifically things like cutting off people's fingers with a cigar cutter. Or getting your head run over by a semi-truck. Or a drinking bird being used to immolate a man. Oh, we're going to get to that yeah. uh, before we get to our collision with Durant and Peyton. We are introduced to Peyton's girlfriend, district attorney. I don't remember her name. I Julie. 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 We apologize for any Liam Neeson impressions that happened during this podcast. They're I just... apologize for nothing. Okay. She's played by Frances McDormand. Who is married to one of the Cohen brothers? It doesn't who, matter which one, because when you're married to one, you're kind of married to both. Who is great? Both are great friends with Sam Raimi. And did some uh, help on the uh, rewrites for this script, especially after uh, Universal stepped in and they realized, oh, wait, we kind of have a big deal kind of movie on here and tried to, you know, encourage Sam Raimi to do rewrites on his first draft. And according to Wikipedia, at the very least, they did not necessarily want to cast Frances McDormand. They wanted to cast Julia Roberts before Pretty Woman. Uh, okay. I was about to say, how the hell did they expect to get Julia Roberts for this? It's okay, for this pre okay. reasonably budgeted movie. This is before Pretty Woman, so they probably thought they could get her. But instead, they get Frances McDormand, and she changed a lot between this and Fargo. Oh, yeah. If, there's only like eight or nine years max between this and Fargo, and she looks very different. Um, but her character, Julie, I'm sorry, Julie, is a... Uh, she is she's a district. She's a district attorney, which we didn't quite realize until two-thirds into the we movie. We realized she had some kind of uh, investigative powers because she was looking into a gentleman by the name of Louis Strack who uh, she found some paperwork 
insinuating that he was paying off certain building inspectors or uh, contractors, other people uh, who he probably should not have been having uh, financial influence over for his building project that he was working on. And we're set up with she has this information that she leaves at Peyton's lab slash apartment. He kind of lives. We thought he lived above the apartment. And then when the bad guys found things literally on the same floor, we realized, no, he just sleeps in his lab and his girlfriend sleeps in his lab with him. So I guess the chemicals must not be that dangerous that they're working with. No, no. Well, I mean, he does put them right on his face. Yeah. Anyway, she leaves this paperwork at his place and well, Strack doesn't come to go collect this paperwork. He sends, of course, Durant. That's who does his dirty work. And uh, <laughs> Durant made a mess of Peyton's lab. He smashes his face. Few, well, his his henchman smashes his face a few times. Ted Raimi shows up as one of his henchmen. That's always fun. This was a very Raimi-esque scene. We got a lot of Raimi angles. Yes, we Raimi got a lot angles. of close-ups of things getting smashed in people's faces. Yep. Close-ups of eyes. Close-ups of things getting mutilated. We got, yeah, like a stop-motion animation of his hands being melted, melted by, uh, I'm not really sure what that was supposed to be, a large transformer of some I mean, sort. It had an electrical current going through it for sure. That uh, was made clear. Yeah. But. Electricity. End result, giant explosion. No, the best part of this. So they kill his lab assistant. Ted Raimi shoots him. Mm-hmm. Then they start a drinking bird, one of those little novelty drinking birds, to set a fire by it coming down and hitting a lighter while there's flammable gas all throughout it. Now, the best part is Frances McDormand shows up in a taxi and decides that she's going to accept the marriage proposal that Liam Neeson put forth to her earlier in the film a few minutes ago. Literally seconds before a giant explosion blows up his lab and throws Liam Neeson. And what we get is a nice tracking shot of a flaming Liam Neeson (laughs) flying through the air in this explosion and landing in the river. No one saw... Because oh, obviously there's a giant explosion. It was very disorienting. But no one saw his, you know, flailing body get dropped in the river. And he is presumed dead. Is presumed dead. But he washes down the river. And he's found and brought to a hospital where the doctor, Jenny Agater, who I know from American Werewolf in London and his and her associates, one of which is director John Landis of a American Werewolf in London... <laughs> Do you think Sam Raimi liked American Werewolf in London? He may have. It's a possibility. They have him as a patient. They assume he's a John Doe, just a homeless man who's been burned beyond recognition. I was about to say, which is something that, you know, is probably relevant in this city. And it occurs to me, I don't know what the name of this city is, if it's fictional or if it's supposed to be another place. Did they mention it at all? I don't remember. And and my heart just says Detroit. Because there's a very RoboCop-esque new version of the city that the bad guy wants to build. It's probably not Detroit. But what we get is we get a nice little explanation of everything that has happened to Peyton due to this explosion. They have cut his nerve endings, so he no longer feels anything. And because of that, he suffers from extreme rage and extreme strength. Well, uh, here, here's the deal. The way they at least try to explain, I can scientifically explain uh, where some of the enhanced strength comes from, thanks to uh, an episode of uh, The Deadliest Warrior. Do you remember that thing? I vaguely remember it, yes. All right, but first off, uh, his his rage that he feels is explained by, uh, since he has no other... um, His lack of stimulus from uh, from not not feeling touch and pain. Typically, when you lose a sense, uh, the explanation is you receive additional stimulus from, like, sight or sound or taste or smell. In this case, they said, no, his his enhanced uh, stimulus is going to come from his emotions. He's going to have super rage. He's like that guy in Mystery Men, played by Ben Stiller. And when adrenaline hits him, it hits him hard. Okay, I'll buy it. Whatever. Sure. You're going to have to forgive a lot of things in this film. I'm going to say that right now. The other thing is they mention, oh, he's, uh, this wasn't necessarily brought up in the hospital scene, but it is implied that he now has uh, additional strength. From what I can tell you, thanks to an episode of The Deadliest Warrior, is when you don't have any feeling, 
it's not so much that you actually are stronger, it's that your muscles don't know when to stop. At a normal point where a normal human would, would assume they've reached their limits, someone who can't feel pain doesn't know they've reached their limits and just keeps pushing past it. And, well, I mean, it's not going to do you any favors, but uh, you are certainly going to be able to accomplish things that you would not have been otherwise had you been able to feel the fact that your muscles were ripping. Short term, you might do, you might be a little stronger. Long term, you probably bust a ligament. Now, with the uninhibited adrenaline that they also attempted to explain in this film, yeah, I mean, if if you're you're going, Darkman probably could uh, do some things that he would not have been able to have accomplished pre-explosion. Darkman. He almost becomes Batman, but it is he's not Batman. No, he's Darkman. But you're going to want to make some Batman references while watching this film. Yeah. What happens so, to good old Peyton after he gets out of the hospital? He doesn't just get out of the hospital. He escapes. He busts through a, like a, a, he's strapped to a table. A rotating thing that uh, maybe only shows up in movies. I don't know. When if, if that's an actual thing used to heal people. A weird rotating burns, traction table. Ugh. He busts out. He busts he right busts through his out. straps. And immediately he goes look for Julie. Julie. But uh, Julie doesn't recognize him. Julie his, doesn't recognize his him. His face is blown off. Also, this the music during this reminded me very much of the music in Batman Returns, which is not surprising considering it's also written by Danny Elfman. They had money for this film. Sam Raimi was not used to money. No. Went straight to the Danny Elfman well. Julie is, of course, uh, she runs away from uh, seeing Darkman because she doesn't recognize him as uh, Peyton. And uh, he is just distraught. He doesn't know what he's got to do. He uh, goes he, back to his lab. He discovers. He realizes, wait a minute, I was working on a synthetic skin formula. Ah, so he takes all of his sweet 1990s computers. And he begins trying to compile himself a mask of his former self. Yep, brings it to a sweet lair. Which that is, thing, oh man, that was a lair. It's it's a lair. It's clearly an old box and pipe factory with, with its a, own forge. There's a lot going on there's in There's sulfuric building. acid pipes I, everywhere. I would hang out in that building, absolutely. It was pretty sweet. You know what? I'm sure the rent, if it had not been condemned, would have been too expensive for a scientist to afford. He probably was very happy with that kind of space. For sure. Uh, he, uh, this is the type of building where the cops are never going to check it out to make sure that there's no one living in it. Because what dangerous could possibly go on in an abandoned there pipe was a and sign, box? And, and it said condemned. And there was a piece of building. chain holding the fence. He had to move the chain to get in through the fence. Clearly, people aren't going to be able to get into that building. Oh, lordy. But he's able to set up a, a nice little uh, version of what he had before his uh, lab slash apartment. Yeah, he sets it up and he decides. It was exploded. His first project is, I'm going to make myself a Liam Neeson mask. Because clearly he wants to look like Liam Neeson. It helps that he was Liam Neeson, but in general, I think... If I had the same opportunities, I'd probably want to make a Liam Neeson mask, now, too. He, his, uh, his image that he's trying to create this Liam Neeson mask from, it's a little burnt up. So it's going to take some time to, I guess, compile, if we're going to use coding terms. No, it has to extrapolate right, the missing the part of Right, because the copy-paste function was broken. Copy-paste. It's 1990. Computers aren't very fast. When you hit Control-V... It then takes 571 hours for it to extrapolate what it means. But, you know, he is, however, able to uh, take photographs of uh, Durant and some of his men. He is, uh, there. there is zero hesitation on what he wants to do next. Nope. He I mean, he's not going to be hanging out with Julie anytime soon because he's got 571 hours to uh, get his face back together. So uh, what are we going to do in the meantime? <laughs> you know what I would do is I would take revenge on those gangsters. Oh, man. And uh, the, his his first uh, act of revenge, it was it was you know, kind of not so planned out. He was on a reconnaissance mission, as it were, and uh, he just grabs one of Durant's men. It was the guy Ted Raimi. It was the guy who uh, shot his uh, his assistant. Yes, and he can't control himself. He's he's in he's rage got mode. Rage problems. So he shoves the guy's head up through a manhole to get run over by a semi truck. And that's the last we see of Ted Raimi. It was kind of awesome. And we should mention at this point that there's an implication that Durant has feelings towards Ted Raimi, and they dance around it because it's 1990, and they can't come out and say that he happens to be gay. So they just say that he likes Rick. Rick. Rick Ricky. Ricky? 
Yeah. I hope I got that right. We got some more time to kill before that Liam Neeson mask is ready, but what we're going to get right now is we're going to get the plan. And they're not, you know, Dark Man's not going to lay out the plan and what it is, but we're going to see. He is studying his targets. He pulls out his Nikon camera and takes lots of photos. He would be a Nikon photos. shooter. And then, you know, he gets these photos developed very quickly. And that's something that maybe they forgot that it was 1990, and that, that probably took a day or two. But from these photos, he's able to create masks of Durant and all of his men. And slowly start taking down Durant's organization. Now, here's the thing. He do, he goes after his first guy. He uh, imitates one of his thugs, one of, some of his muscle. Polly. Polly, And he uh, makes it look like Polly stole some money, and uh, Durant throws the actual Polly out of a window. Great. Step two is imitate Durant himself. Yeah, he doesn't even... He's he, he's taken lots of photos of all of Durant's gang, but he jumps right from one of his henchmen to Durant himself. And there's a pretty badass scene where he, A, gets Durant arrested so he's able to take his place, and then B, goes into Chinatown, where, of course, there's a parade happening with the dragon. Because it's always Chinese New Year. Always... Anytime you have a Chinatown in a movie, it's always Chinese New Year. And proceeds to be a badass and get money from the Chinese mob? It, it's it's not implied necessarily that he needs the money. He seems to be able to uh, cobble together whatever he needs. This is just more to fuck with uh, Durant and his operation. Yeah, it seems very petty and out of revenge. And it seems to be working pretty well. But at this point, he gets his Liam Neeson mask. And, uh, well, the actual Liam Neeson, the, the actor playing Darkman, had to be thrilled for these scenes because it meant he didn't have to put on that 14-step makeup that they had him be wearing when he was actually Darkman. Though I would argue that Liam Neeson made a very interesting acting role is that his speech, while he is arguably not wearing any makeup at all other than just basic makeup, but he, when he's supposed to be wearing the Liam Neeson mask. When he's mask. supposed to be wearing the Liam Neeson mask, it kind of appears as if he's purposefully talking as if he doesn't have complete control of his lips. And his eyes are definitely got a little bit of the crazy in them. He actually does a pretty good job portraying a role, probably a better job than was required for this movie. I mean, but you this hired is, this Liam is, Neeson. You did. And th this was supposed to be a very campy, Raimi-esque film, and he... Nailed it. Liam Neeson went up to Sam and said, Sam, I've decided that in this scene, Peyton doesn't have complete control of his lips because he doesn't have those muscles. Sure, sure, Liam, do, do whatever you want. And I think that's what you get. I want to talk a little bit more about decisions that uh, Raimi didn't have control over. I'm sure Liam may have had some part to play, but Universal certainly did. We're going to get to that, though. What we need to talk about is uh, the tipping point from where uh, we have our clever dark man and his revenge kind of really hit a wall and that's of course when he tries to rekindle his relationship with julie he has 99 minutes at a time and what was he, the last time you were on a 99 minute date and he introduces himself to his oh god yes what the hell while she is visiting his gravestone uh, he shows up julie it's me i'm peyton i'm alive no, you're a you're a ghost. Because I'm at a gravesite right if now. You I'm at your gravesite right now. If I am visiting someone's grave and they suddenly show up at the gravesite, they're a ghost. I I don't even believe in ghosts, and suddenly I do believe in ghosts. Damn, dude, make a phone call or something. Show up like at her door, knock. I, ah, anything else than the gravesite? What the and hell? It, it skips around to clearly multiple times that he's interacted with her because he keeps changing from his sweet plaid jacket to his purple jacket uh so clearly he's come up with a plan and he's, she he's has told her it. he's told her that he has to keep getting back to the hospital yes he's been he's, in a coma yeah and he needs to keep getting back for therapy purposes i think he really sold the i still need therapy thing towards the end of our film here where they're at a carnival and uh he has one of his rage fits at a carny and frankly, it's at a bottle 
ball game where you throw the the ball at the three Try bottles. Try knock the bottles off the table. Which is always rigged, and I don't know why people play these games. Doesn't everyone know that these games are but rigged? But here's the thing. He's Dark Man. He's Dark Man, and, so he beats the game. But the guy's still not going to give him his pink elephant. Because he claims he was over the line. Which he wasn't over the line. I was I the one on pink elephant. You're the fucking pink elephant. And here is where I put in my notes. I wrote down gravelly, and then you said you should just write down Liam Neesity. And I agreed with you, so I put down gravelly, parentheses, Liam Neesony. But he breaks the car in his hand and throws him through a wall, and then he runs off. While his, he hits the 99-minute mark, right. and his face starts melting. So, Which means he leaves he, a I trail mean, of smoke. He's, he, he has completely sold the I'm still in therapy and I still have issues to work out thing. Here's and the then thing. his Julie face starts not, melting. Julie is not dumb. She doesn't buy this for a second. She's she a fo- district attorney, she which means follows him. she has been to school at some point in her life. Let's go with that. She follows him back to his lair. And uh, she basically, she figures it out right away what's been going on because she's not dumb. She's not dumb. And then she immediately goes to Strack and explains that he's still alive and causes all of the bad things to happen for the rest of the movie. Right. Okay. So she's not she's not dumb, but she does some dumb things because the movie well, no, requires the it. Here's the thing. When Peyton was presumed dead, she was hanging out with Strack a little bit. And uh, they, they weren't necessarily dating, but they were seeing each other kind of. It's implied, but the movie doesn't actually give you any evidence that right. they were involved. So she she basically... She does kind of the, the morally right thing and says, like, hey, I can't see you right now. I got to go deal with my uh, almost fiance who's not dead. <laughs> but slight issue. Remember that memo, that uh, that paperwork that I mentioned that uh, implicated that Strack was uh, giving yeah. money to Durant and possibly paying off building inspectors? Right. Yeah. He didn't do a great job of hiding that after uh, Durant stole it. He kind of just left it out on his desk. He left it on his desk. And it's not like it is another copy of this memo. It's the specific coffee-stained version that was in Peyton's lab earlier in the film. Shredders. They make shredders for a purpose. Uh, You know what? He was probably thinking that this has a staple in it. I don't want to put it through the shredder. I might damage the shredder. And then he does another dumb bunny thing and specifically mentions Durant. I he mean, is, he is just laying it out there. He goes he from like no sly. Interest. He goes from sly to Bond villain in oh yeah two point in two point two seconds. It's it's a coin toss where suddenly he he like flips a coin. He's like, you know what? I'm just going to tell you my whole plan. Uh, I'm evil. Um, you know what? Uh, evil's being good. You should just come with me and be evil. Oh, you don't want to be evil? <sighs> you know what? You take off. I'm not going to kill you. Uh, and then she takes off, and then he immediately calls Durant and then <laughs> to follow her to find where Darkman's sweet-ass lair is. And then one of the most amazing action scenes in cinema history breaks out. Yes. This is a Sam Raimi with universal money action scene yep running around guns of firing and then he's on roofs and then a a helicopter shows up and then someone's got a grenade launcher yeah dark man is hanging from a helicopter and they're firing a grenade launcher down at him and my favorite cameo of the movie shows up Sam Raimi's Oldsmobile shows up. Sam Raimi's Oldsmobile hits Darkman while he's dangling from this helicopter. But that's when uh, he lands on top of a truck and comes up with a great idea to get rid of this helicopter. Let's attach the helicopter to this truck and then smash it into a tunnel. That was pretty cool. I mean, it was 1990. It was not. It would not hold up at, at all. We're not going to pretend these special effects are anything other than 1990. The best. 16 million dollars can buy you in 1990 but they were pretty cool for what they were i can't even call them cool they were they were just they were fun there's some pretty sketchy mat work and definitely some sketchy rear project projection slash chroma key work anyway all the all the mob guys are dead durant's dead all of his 
you know, thugs are dead. The guy with the fake leg that's actually machine gun is dead. Did we not mention machine gun leg? No, machine gun leg was kind of awesome. Okay, yeah. One of the bad guys has a has a fake leg that another bad guy just grabs and it turns out it's a machine gun. Here's and the- it gets used well past the point of it making sense to be used. There's a scene where a guy shows up holding the machine gun leg and the guy whose leg it is is hopping on one foot for no goddamn reason. This is a place where they can bring guns. It made sense in the first scene where they were checked for guns and the the fake leg was a way to sneak in a weapon. But there's a later scene where he's just holding the machine gun leg and the other guy's hopping around in the background and everyone else already has guns. And everyone just seems to think this is normal. Thank you, Sam Raimi. Thank you for that. Ugh. That was so good. Anyway, Durant's dead, so Darkman's going to- Durant's whole crew is dead. But Darkman's going to uh, put on his Durant mask one last time to try and fool uh, Starks. Or Stra- Strax. Strax. Thank you. Strax isn't buying it, but uh, he's got a plan. He brings Darkman and uh, Julie up to uh, the top of a uh, high-rise that he's working on. As part of his uh, evil plan. And there's a nice little character quirk where Strack apparently has a history of working in construction when he was a kid. So he's completely comfortable hopping around this these steel girders that are 650 feet in the air. Right. And I guess his plan is before he just decides to you know, kill Peyton is he's going to try and convert him kind of because he needs new muscle now that, you know, everyone on his former crew has been offed. Yeah, and Peyton is seems pretty effective. He's killed an entire crime boss family. Of course, there's no reason with Dark Man. No. There's a fantastic action sequence where Francis McDormand, or Julie, is Julie. hanging from a piece of rebar by her handcuffs, and Dark Man is swinging around on cables. And someone got a strack. rivet gun that actually somehow functions as an actual gun in this case? Yeah, he just shoots rivets out, and he catches Darkman in the hand. It's it's just a fun little scene. It's, it's very, very Sam Raimi. Very Sam Raimi. Long story short, Darkman wins and has some killer one-liners, especially when he defeats Strack. Strack is pretty much done for he's dangling by dark man he's just holding him up over this ledge but he's laughing because he knows dark man is is a good man because right because dark man is an allegory for batman and batman doesn't kill he's got the great cape he's been disappearing and dropping from places and you're the good guy you won't kill me right you can't kill me you can't live with my death on your conscience and dark man just just drops him drops him i've been learning to live with a lot of things pretty great and then he realizes he has become a monster yeah and he he can't live with julie anymore but he's dark man now she she's uh not the hero that she wants but he's the hero she needs too much a little okay as a big fan of the christian bale bad voice might be a little much at this point Julie so, tries to run after him as he darts away, but he uh, has one last mask up his sleeve, literally. Which brings up my second favorite cameo in the movie. And it's a cameo that you knew was coming, because when you turn on a Sam Raimi movie, there's two things that you know will happen without fail. One, you're going to see an Oldsmobile that is in pretty bad shape, but you're going to see it. Uncle Ben's going to drive it, or Ash is going to drive it. Someone's going to drive an Oldsmobile. And two, Bruce Campbell's going to show up. And in this case, Bruce Campbell is looking, you know, kind of cool. Just walking away. Walking away, knowing that he's Liam Neeson underneath. Which has to be the direction that Sam Raimi gave him. Okay, Bruce, you're, you're Liam Neeson right now. Oh, damn, I'm cool then. Am I super cool? Oh, yeah. I'm super cool. I got this, Sam. Oh, man. Dark Man. Recommend? Uh, yeah. I, like I said, this is a movie I saw when I was pretty young. It left a pretty solid impression on me. I was very afraid, actually, to watch this. I thought it wasn't going to hold up. I thought I was going to watch it. I was going to remember the scenes that stuck with me as a kid, but then the rest of the movie was going to be kind of blah. Sam Raimi is a director that I like a lot. But he's made a few movies that I haven't loved, and I thought this was just going to be one where he didn't have enough control, 
and maybe it wasn't the movie he wanted to make, but I watched it, and it, it held up better than I thought it would. If you were a big fan of Army of Darkness, I'm not going to hold, actually, I'm not going to put Evil Dead in this category, but if, if you were a fan of Army of Darkness, you will enjoy the crap out of Dark Man. It's an early run at later superhero movie. Now, don't forget, uh, Sony, Sony? Sony made Sony tr- Sony trusted Sam Raimi with Spider-Man, probably based on Dark Band. This is closer to the template of later superhero movies than I can think of any other superhero movies that were coming out this early. Not only that, but it was a it was kind of a because again, Sam Raimi's big inspiration for this were pulp heroes. He really wanted to again do The Shadow. And you know what happened in the early 90s? A lot of pulp heroes got movies made. Yeah, Shadow, which has a fantastic cast and is so close to being great, and I would have loved to see the same cast, but directed by Sam Raimi. And we've already mentioned the fan, but also The Rocketeer and Dick Tracy came out oh, right yeah. around the same time. And a lot of this was predated by Darkman. And why did this all happen? Because Tim Burton made a Batman movie, and it made so much money that people forgot that comic books were quote-unquote for kids for a little bit. They forgot that that the geeks shouldn't be making movies, and suddenly they started giving money to all these people. And I would say that the DNA of Darkman is better represented in later superhero movies than Tim Burton's Batman movies. And Tim ba- Burton's Batman movies are movies that I like. Here, but here, I would I... say the modern superhero movie is started it by X-Men and Spider-Man. Okay. And Spider-Man alone being made by Sam Raimi gives gives this DNA a little more weight. This is the quote that resonates with me. It was a critic review of Spider-Man 2. It said, it's not just a great superhero movie, it's a great movie. That was Spider-Man 2. And everyone tried to copy that afterwards. Yep. So, of course... where did Sam Raimi uh, draw a lot of his superhero experience from? Dark, Dark Man. Man. Hell, I, sh- there's an easy, another easy recommendation. If uh, you enjoyed Spider-Man 2, check out Dark Man. Sam Raimi has made a series of movies that are in my collection, to say the least. I mean, obviously, Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness. That's just one franchise that is 100% Sam Raimi. He made the Spider-Man 1 and 2 he also made three, but we're going to pretend that he didn't. Sony made Spider-Man 3. Let's not beat yeah. around the bush. That was that was a Sony-made film. They just kept their director because he his name brings in money. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think I have a long list of recommendations when we come to this movie because Sam Raimi's not exactly an unknown quantity to the average person. We've already mentioned all the movies you should check out. If you enjoyed Darkman, do check out The Shadow. Do check out Army of Darkness. Do check out Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2. Yeah, I'd like to do The Shadow at a future time because it's it's a very flawed movie. <laughs> oh, but there's yeah. a part of me that just loves what they were trying for. And it's just perfectly cast. I can't think of a better person to play that character than early 90s Alec Baldwin. Right. Here's the point that we get to where uh, you, you can't sit here and say Dark Man is a perfect movie. So what would you change? Or what do you want to see more of? Hmm. You know, I said this during the film. I I would be really curious to see this film. And I hate to say this because special effects are such a, a product of their era. And I usually enjoy the charm. I just would am curious to see what this movie would have been like with, instead of prosthetics, the kind of effects that you see in Two-Face in The Dark Knight. I was looking to see because I heard rumors of a reboot. There's rumors of reboots of everything yeah, that I ever know, made I, money. I, I was just seeing if IMDb had a uh, a production uh, a pre-production uh, page for it. It does not at this moment. But things that you know I would change about this movie, Ugh, not a lot. I mean, yeah. it works for what it is, and um, you have to forgive a lot of things with this film. You have to look at that and and uh, you 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 will catch things and say, wait a second, and then realize, no, 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 no. I just have to let it go. Because I'm having a good time, and I keep, and I, I want to keep having a good time. Movie logic for a lot of things, right? And we didn't even mention that this movie, like we said, made 
decent money, not huge blockbuster, not over $100 million, but it made enough money. They made two sequels of this. To be fair, these were uh, direct- Direct-to-video video sequels. But they still made two. But and, they still made them. The and, Return of Durant. And Die, Dark Man, Die, uh, which got played on Sci-Fi Channel a lot. I haven't seen either of them. So I, I'm going to assume they are uh, exactly what I'm picturing in my head, especially now that you tell me they played on Sci-Fi Channel a lot. And but, that, that that was back when Sci-Fi Channel was S-C-I-F-I, not, oh, not S-Y-F-Y. Yeah. Oh, um, I liked the Sci-Fi Channel more than Siffy. They had MST3K. Did. It was yeah. a good time. Uh, and they had money to spend. They, they produced some good things. Um, if anyone, if you've never seen it, Farscape. It was produced uh, by Sci-Fi back when it was S-C-I-F-I and Jim, Jim Henson. Whoo, that was a good series. Yeah, and I think one of the Australian broadcasting companies also had something to do with that. that actually, yeah, they that's were probably a fun a, series. They were probably a major contributor, not think yep. about it. Can we talk about how bad of an idea it is uh, to shoot at the... Oh, man, I cannot read my own Can we talk about how bad an idea it is to have a sulfuric acid running through metal pipes? And then to fire lots of weapons around said pipes. So if you don't know much about how acids work, typically when an acid comes in contact with a metal, you don't have a good result. So having sulfuric acid running through metal pipes usually Um, means you don't have pipes anymore. Again, you have to forgive a lot in this movie, but it's just so much fun that uh, you're going to let it go. Yeah, we're just spoiled by Breaking Bad and their great grasp of how acids work oh man and there were definitely some times i i know because uh, our silent partner has uh, some uh, biotech background that uh, some of the explanation for the skin cell stuff uh we just kind of looked at each other and we're like that's not how that works but it was still fun but in, in, i definitely want to get your take on dark man yeah what's the silent partner's take on dark man i we just got to be able to grin right now one severed one severed thumb up. Very appropriate, I think, for this film. And, you know, I think that that's an appropriate place to leave it. You've been listening to the Out of Sync podcast. I'm Jonathan LaDuke. I'm Steve Shannon. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll yep. see you next Don't time. Don't forget to check us out on Twitter at oh. Shellback Media. Leave a review, because apparently that's how things work. I don't know why you need to leave a review. Just do it. Make us happy. Do you really want to know what people think about this? I don't. We've said this before. We make this podcast whether you listen or not. If you're listening and you're enjoying, leave a review. If you're not, then just leave an angry tweet at us, I guess. Tell your friends. Tell your friends if they like drunk people talking about movies that they should listen to Out of Sync. Because it's a podcast about drunk people. Or maybe not. I I got a really weird look the other day from... uh, a recommendation. I was I was hanging out with a girl, and uh, I decided it was time to mention your podcast. To mention Doctor Who, and I got the weirdest look. Ooh. And I'm like, well, this isn't gonna last. Yeah. Absolutely not. <sighs> I think that's a good way to end the night. Yep. Thank you guys. Take Enjoy. It easy.